Hey there, this is Keith Carpenter. I get to pastor Epic Life Church, and it's such a, a blessing that you're watching this today. I want to encourage you to in, um, enjoy this message and enjoy this worship and time. But I also want to encourage you that if you're listening from a different place in this city or in this country, and you have a local church that you're part of, that you invest into that local church. It's really good that we can hear people online, men and women teach and expound on the scripture. But in the long run, we need to go back to our local church and be part of that community. So again, it's a blessing having you here. I pray that this is a blessing to you and I want to encourage you to invest in your local community. Have a great morning. Wake up. Wake up, you who are asleep. Rise up from the dead and Christ will shine his light on you. Isn't light amazing? It shines into the darkness and reveals things. It illuminates things. Illuminate is a word that the Greek used to shine manuscripts. They write things in, in gold, kind of like highlighting them so people could see it and understand it. Wake up. This light that we now have is Jesus, and he makes all things visible. Light is amazing. You ever camp out and you're you're spending hours and hours, maybe a sleepless night in the wilderness, no light. You wake up in the middle of the night and go, it's got to be close to morning, yet it's still only 1 o'clock. You sleep for maybe 10 more minutes and wake up again and it's only 2 o'clock. Waiting for that sunrise, waiting for that sun to start peeking up above the ridge across the lake to give us light so we can see. Light is truly amazing. This passage in Ephesians, we've talked about it often, but it really points to a passage in John 1. John 1 that uh, presents Jesus and uh, him being the light of the world. John 1 Five, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, is coming into the world. I think we're in a place right now of seeing, maybe for the first time in a lot of different ways. But Jesus is that true light, and he illuminates, he lets us see things, showing things that are hidden in the darkness, like the dust bunnies under the bed. Or when I was a little kid, I don't know about you, I would turn the light on because I'd be afraid of monsters. And somehow, because the light sh shone in my room, in my bedroom with my brother there, the monsters were not going to be coming to get me. Like the, the, the light burned the monsters. Is it any wonder in, in movies that the light shines and the... The, the werewolves and the vampires are, are burned up because of the sunlight. Or maybe it seems like maybe some zombies are as well. The light shines and the monsters disappear. The light shines and the dust bunnies under the bed can be cleaned. It, this, this light shows us sin. It shows us, shows us what's going on in our, in our heart. And the light of Jesus pierces our heart in such a way that it divides our soul. It pierces in and, and opens up and sees the, the cracks and the crevices inside our soul that need to be illuminated, brought into the light so that we can understand it. Not brought into the light so that somebody can, 
can shame us, but brought into the light so that we can understand it, so that we can repent of it, so that there can be forgiveness. You know, there's often examples of miracles in the Bible when Jesus was speaking with people. Miracles of healing the blind. Healing many different diseases and ailments, but healing the blind has a has a really important aspect of our lives because it's healing us from not being able to see, not being able to understand. The seeing of our eyes and physical seeing is one thing, but the understanding, the seeing of our heart is something completely different. And the seeing of our heart requires illumination into those dark corners that we need to understand. Light in its essence, light is disrupting the chaos of darkness. Can I say that one more time? Light is disrupting the chaos of darkness. It illuminates what's happening in darkness. It illuminates thoughts. It illuminates actions. It illuminates um, biases. It illuminates misunderstandings. It illuminates all this sin that's creeping in the corners, hiding and of course we know when, when sin is hiding in the corners of our heart, it leaks out into our actions and into our words. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 6. Don't be fooled by those who are trying to excuse sin. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6 through uh, 14. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Remember this. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of the evil or darkness. Instead, expose them. Shine light on them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper. Rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Church, as we are understanding current events, what's happening in our world what happen, has happened for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years in our world, we're, we're brought to a place of, of realizing and seeing differently, of, of having things exposed. And, and those things are exposed in our, our culture as we look behind the veil. Uh, we love a, a good... Uh, a good news piece, investigative news piece that pulls back the veil of hidden societies and hidden people who are who are pulling uh, strings, puppet strings out in the world. And we all of a sudden get a glimpse behind the screen. We realize what's going on and the world opens up into this this uh, understanding more of what's happening. We love those kind of stories and the, those kind of stories are happening all the time. Let's not be naive, all right? This world is not run, it's not orchestrated and run by God. It's run, the, the prince and the 
principalities of the air, the enemy himself has dominion on this earth and dominion to, to uh, puppeteer people. And so God's involved in through his church as we present the gospel and go forward. And we are the, the uh, we should be the active, the, the, the lamps to, as, as Christ shines through us, that we would shine on the darkness and bring light into every situation that we come in contact with. So here we are in this cultural moment that is confusing at best. Uh, it's polarizing, it's dividing even more, it seems, while at the same time uniting. Uh, when people are speaking divisiveness and, and evil to one another, at the same time some things are uniting and coming around and things are good. We mourn the loss of people, loss of lives. We, we mourn the, the systematic um, racism that has happened in our country for so many years. I've realized, I don't know if you've realized this, but, but America has only been out of the, the slavery industry for only 150 years. Wrap your mind around that for just a moment. 150 years. In fact, our parents... We're, we're growing up in the 50s and 60s where slavery didn't exist, but people still had different water fountains that they could go to. It hasn't been very long compared to the history of the earth. Thousands of years of human abuses, uh, slavery, and, and tensions between peoples. In fact, even today, right now, there's 40 million slaves on earth more than there's ever been. Humans are still enslaving others, still putting their thumbs on top of each of other humans. We live in a world that is egregiously acting uh, evilly with other people, towards other people, on top of other people, systematically. And so we have a country now that many of us believe has, has been uh, brought forth under a, a a biblical and moral concept while at the same time immorality and unethical things have been happening. My heart really longs well I, I am I am deeply troubled for the church right now. And in my bad days I wonder how the church makes it out of this. In my good days I realize that God is in control of the church. It's not about meeting on Sunday morning. It's not about Preaching is not about uh, what the church does on a one day a week in a big assembly. It's really the church of Jesus Christ being together wherever we are, separate or not physically, but marching forward in with the orders of carrying the light into the world. For the light makes everything visible, and we get to be part of that. So I worry, though. Because we don't know what to do. Most of the church is sitting aside and wondering what we should do. What, what's next? How do we do? How do we rise up from our couch lock? Have you ever heard that term, couch lock? It's a term to describe sitting on a couch, knowing that you need to get up and, and do something and get active, but unable to get your brain to connect with your body to actually get up. How many of you have felt like that? Anybody? Raise your hands. How many of you have felt couch locked in the last few weeks? Knowing that you just need to get up and do something, but not knowing what it is. Having, having a, 
uh, you're, you're kind of imprisoned by, by your mind and not being able to move, not being able to do anything, not being able to mentally get your body to physically work. Your, your body works. It's not because you're paralyzed. You're just paralyzed mentally or in your soul, in your spirit. Light is shining on this problem. We need to get up and act. I listened to Lecrae, a Christian rap artist, a rap artist who's a Christian, and uh, uh, Ginger Skipperart sent this message out to our our growth, our our, our house church group, and um, it basically one of the things he said in there is like, um, the Black Americans are not blaming white people right now for driving the boat of racism necessarily but they just want us to recognize that the boat of racism has wakes behind it and that water that those waves are affecting people and that we should recognize that you see something big is happening yet in our recognition we we see this giant and and huge thing that's happening but we are in a moment of couch lock we're sitting there we don't know what to do much of Jesus' teaching is really about what we should do, how we should act as a Christian community. But here we are not knowing exactly how to act. And you know there's many, there's so much to the issues of race and systematic racism. Much of Jesus' teaching was shining a light on things that we need to be acting on. It was shining this light in the dark places. I've heard it so many times over the last few weeks is, I don't know what to do. People have told me that. They told you this. And you have said this yourselves. I don't know what to do. I can't tell you how many pastors who have typed out things and, and tried to get things on the internet, tried to speak, but they don't know what to do, so they, they delete those things, realizing there's going to be shame, there's going to be guilt, there, there's too much, uh, too big, uh, shame or guilt, too little, too late, whatever it is, some form of fear of doing it wrong, damned if you do and damned if you don't. And so we look at this giant picture of what's going on and it, it locks us down into fear of being able to do anything. And this is frightening because the church needs to act. But how do we act? So we act in the cultural scheme of things. I want to encourage you, if you are find, finding yourself in a moment of couch lock, that you, you recognize, and the reason you're, we're at Couch Lock is because we've had the light sh shown, the light has shined down into the corners of our culture, and we realize something is wrong, like really wrong. And so we see it, and we understand it, perhaps for the first time. Perhaps there's, there's so many things that we're realizing for the first time, and that those dust bunnies under the, the couch are huge. And, and they're dangerous, and they've turned into monsters in the dark. And so we need to start small. Uh, perhaps I, I would encourage you to make a list. Do something that is a list, and it's one thing at a time. But before you make a list, and before you start acting, please pray. I think back to the words of, Jer or, of Nehemiah as he received words from his brothers in, in Jerusalem that the walls were torn down and the, the landscape of Israel was, was destroyed. Nehemiah didn't turn and run into action. 
He didn't run to the king and said, we have to do something. He didn't demand that. He went immediately to his knees and fasting and praying. And church, if we don't first start with fasting and praying before we run in, we will run in incorrectly. And so the problem with the church has been, I will fast and pray for you. We are known for saying, I'm going to pray for you, and then we never do. Or I'm going to pray for you, brother, who needs something a lot from me, who needs much from me. I'm going to pray for you. Jesus has a parable of, about that. How dare you, as a Christian, turn your brother away when you could take care of that need immediately. I'll pray for you. Go away. Grace on you. Have abundance. But as Christians, we need to do more than that. We must walk beyond praying and fasting. But if we don't start with praying and fasting, we're going to walk into it incorrectly. We're going to cause more damage than we know. So we can make a list. We can start with the first item on the list and then keep going. Don't make a list and put it on the shelf and think you've done something. Make a list. Start with the first thing and then keep going. Get out of couch lock. Step up into the conversation. Be willing to have a conversation and be willing to be wrong. Remember, just because people are shouting something doesn't mean they're right in that or it might not even mean they're fully uh, conscious of what they're shouting or they might not even agree with it. Be able to walk into a conversation and church be able to have a conversation. Remember that people are in many places learning for the first time that light has shine, shone into their lives. And, and God is calling them and saying, wake up, sleeper. Wake up. Wake up. Rise up from the dead. Rise up from a place that you're not noticing this and you're not seeing it. And Christ will shine light on this for you to understand. Wake up, sleeper. Start small, make a list, keep going. Men and women, this is a big problem and a big issue in our country, and it needs not be glossed over. We cannot step into a year from now and look back and remember the days of the riots. Something needs to happen. And it's bigger than a political climate. If you're whittling this down to political uh, political climate it is actually bigger than that although politics will use it for its own purpose there's a bigger thing going on these riots have been going on for years it's not just it just it's not just right now it's six years ago and eight years ago there were there were riots about and, and protests and good protests about what was going on and the injustices that were happening and here we are in the same place because a lot hasn't happened I've been reading this book. Uh, it's called Loser Think. It's about the guy who did the Dilbert co comics in newspapers. and It's actually a pretty good book. It's from a, a, a largely, you know, just a business perspective. But something he said in this book recently is, is, uh, is he says that loser think is staying in your lane. So when somebody comes along and they say, hey, would you just stay in your lane? Don't get out of your lane. Stay in your lane. And that's not really a good thing for us. When we stay in our lane only, we only see things in one perspective and not able to see other people's perspective. Epic Life Church, we've been really good about not staying in our lane. We go 
out and we get into different lanes to learn from them and maybe even to influence in them at at the whole all the time bringing the gospel into those lanes and so we're in business we're in the business community we're in the the marginalized community here on aurora avenue <clears throat> inside the police department and the fire department and the local schools we're not just staying in our lane as a church on Sunday morning, bring people here, bring people here, teach them, teach them, teach them, and then there's no discipleship going with that or there's no understanding of the rest of the lanes of the world. And so it's really wise for us to step out of our lane. Don't just stay in your lane. Um, lead from your lane, perhaps, if that's something you're really good at and you're really called to, but learn from other places. Learn from other lanes and other books and other understanding. And so how do we stay in our lane as people? Humanity loves to read one perspective that agrees with their perspective. Why do we love this? Because it makes us feel good. It makes us feel like, oh, not only do I believe this, but all these other people believe it. And that makes my opinions correct. Opinions. My feelings are correct. My emotions are correct because somebody else agrees with me. I'm going to read that emotion and that person and stay in that lane. And so we have echo chamber lanes on social media, which we seldom step out of. And when we do step out of it, we criticize it. We're not looking for other opinions or other ideas. We're looking for ways to criticize that other lane and how bad they are and what they're doing wrong. This is, this is potentially a very um, poor way to live life at best, but it also keeps us potentially in darkness. And so I would encourage us as a church to, to look beyond our lane, to learn, to understand, and to grow. People who have started great businesses don't just focus down on the one little thing that they're doing. They learn from out here and bring it into here and understand it. Learn from beyond. So Christians, we would be really wise to learn what our brothers and sisters are saying in other denominations, what our brothers and sisters are saying in other ethnic and cultural backgrounds. Those things are two different things, ethnic and cultural backgrounds. We would, we would be wise to hear from, from pastors and, and people, people of color, if we're not people of color, people who are white, if we're not um, white, um, we would be wise to hear that and to learn outside of our lane and not just do it so that we can criticize and put down. We can, though, in all aspects, understand where God has called us. And God has called us to bring light to the world. And God is using us to shine his light. Like, like Jesus is, is shining a light through us. May we not be a people who stay compartmentalized into our small lane, keeping the light right here and in these walls and building walls around the light so the light is like a, a tunnel and that's it and nobody else can have that light. Our role is to be able to shine light in this world <clears throat> and discover how the gospel crosses lanes. The gospel of Jesus. Romans 12 speaks to this. And I've been studying Romans 12 throughout this week and, and a couple weeks now. And I feel like it's a, it's a chapter for 2020. A 2020 chapter, Romans 12. Brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. 
Let your bodies be a living and holy sacrifice. The kind he finds acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You got that? Let's not be conformed to the world's way of doing things. Let's step beyond that and act differently so that we will know God's will for us and good, what's good and pleasing and, purpose, and, and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith that God has given to you. We often think we are better than we really are when we're just living in our one little lane. Think about it this way. If somebody's an author and they're writing books and they're, they're, they, they've got a, a stack of 10 books that they've written, and they've gone to the publisher to publish these books, they've tried it on their own, but nobody seems to be buying them. So they go to a publisher and, and attempt to publish these books with the publisher. The publisher says, uh, these aren't that good. And you start arguing with the publisher and saying, what are you talking about? These are the best, the best nonfiction books I've ever read. These are wonderful. These are, these are better than any out there. So the publisher asked the, the author and says, well, what, what books are you comparing your work with? Oh, well, I've never actually read any other nonfiction books, but this, this one is surely better than everything else. If an if a author is just writing in his own area and he thinks he's the best, he's obviously going to think he's the best at that work, at anything, because, because that's all he knows. It's really wise to read other authors and see how people write and understand and, and, and create so that you can bring some of that creation and, and uh, wisdom into your own writing. Paul is saying, listen, get out of your lane. Learn more. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given to you. I'm going to run down to verse 9 of chapter 12. Don't just pretend to love each other. Really love them. If you're taking notes, you could write this down, this verse, verse 9. Paul's going to go into this passage, and it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like Paul's Beatitudes, if you will. Going back to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Paul says, don't just pretend to love each other or others. Really love them. Like, actually love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. You hear Paul saying, this is the light shining into dark places where we need to understand things, like, for real. And he's not saying, don't pretend to love others, really love them, because everybody that he's writing to actually understands this. That They're actually doing it. He's saying this because people aren't. They're not really loving people. They're loving people for their own selfish gain, or they're loving people in this this space that says we're doing the right thing. One of the things that I've been grieving, one of the problems with this whole um, systemic racism thing that I've been grieving is the role of the church in the past. I can't do anything about the role of the church in the past. I don't live there, and it's been 400 years of it in America anyway. But like Pastor Harvey said last week, that apartheid in South Africa was, uh, was, was kind of on display in the Dutch church 
and Americans, American Christianity has been, has been a, a piece of propagating racism. There are churches that have literally um, said that we are denomination because we can best bring the gospel to our slaves. That's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. It's horrifically wrong. And so Paul is saying, hey, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them with an agape, forever, continual love. You need to hate what is wrong and hold tight to what is good. Hate what is wrong. Human lives matter. Hate it. Hate it that lives are being, being eliminated, murdered. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. That word is like, hug it tightly, hold it, become part of it. Hold on to what is good. Love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. What kind of world would it be if, if we as humans stopped treating others like they were less than us and, take, and we would take delight in honoring them and holding them up? Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. We can do that as a church and not be in couch lock and not know what to do, but rise up and do something. Even if it's small, do something. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Rejoice in our confident hope. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality with each other. So bless those who persecute you. Can we hear this verse? Bless. This, Paul is talking to Christians. He's talking to Christ followers. Remember when we talk about the Bible, we, we always want to understand that the Bible is written mostly to Christians to hear and adjust our way of behaving shining light into the dark places of our world that perhaps somebody wasn't or is persecuting others, and we're mad at them, and we're fighting against them. And Paul is saying, listen, I want to shine some light on that. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy, and weep with those who weep. This is verse 16. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people, or let's just call it of different people ordinary people. The, the word ordinary is really, really kind of cool. It's like, uh, I'm not ordinary. I'm pretty much amazing. And so everybody else around me are, they're just ordinary folks. They're different than I am. Right? And as humans, we would rather not have anything to do with somebody who's different. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. So never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. So do all you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. 
If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. And that's a good thing that heaping burning coals was a, a blessing. Giving somebody, it's not burning them on the head. It's giving somebody a blessing of hot coals for their home as well. So, so if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals. You'll bless them. Um, and they will be shameful of the way they're treating you. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Listen, I understand as I read that, that there is a sentiment out there that people are saying, as like, hey, the African-American community has had to be the ones to forgive the white community for too long, and it's now for time for this to be over. Minimum, we are talking about a very complex issue here. It is not black and white. Well, it's not black and white in skin either, but for now it is. This is not just a black and white issue that's very, very simple to understand. Paul is speaking right here to the, the people of God, Christ followers. On Andrea uh, Drake, Dr. Drake last week said it really clearly as, as people are protesting and saying, um, no, no, no justice, no peace, no justice, no peace. Well, Andrea says no forgiveness no peace no forgiveness no peace that is a a christian ethical christian way to look at things no matter what paul says no matter what on into ephesians we're going to talk about slaves and masters and paul says no matter what you're presenting yourself to god no matter what no matter how harsh you're being treated no matter what present yourself these aren't my words, these are the Bible words. And I'm not going out and, and holding a sign down the street and protest and say, hey, Black Lives Matter people, you should be forgiving us. That's not what this is saying. This is speaking to the church of God, the children, the bride of Christ, the heirs to the throne, those who have been identified as Christians by the Holy Spirit. We are to live lives of forgiveness. And before you start pointing your fingers at someone else, let the light illuminate your own soul of forgiveness. Perhaps we are forgiving each other, yet we are speaking other things in public that don't seem like it. We need to analyze and understand what we're doing. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Okay? Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by speaking good. Conquer evil by writing good things. No, conquer evil by doing good. Nobody can look at Epic Life Church and say that we are not doing good and bringing the gospel into our community out of, with good work. We have been identified for purpose. We have been identified as the church, as Christians, for purpose. As Epic Life, we've been identified for doing good in our neighborhood. want to demonstrate something to you as i said a little bit ago i'm i'm concerned i you know I, i'm not a person who worries i i'm just not anxious about things and so very seldom do i have sleepless nights i mean it's got to be something incredibly personal or i don't know it's just i just don't have anxious nights i, I don't get anxious about things I've had more sleepless nights in the last two weeks than I have probably in my whole life. 
because I'm concerned. I'm concerned for the church. I'm concerned that we are running down roads, certain roads as the church that we're not going to be able to get back from. And so I just want to talk about that a little bit. As we just talked about everything, as we're, we're pushing and showing that um, Jesus is a shining light into the world. If we are not part of Christ's shining light, we're making a, a, a bold mistake. I want to demonstrate something to you. This is some water, just water. And, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm nervous about the church um, seeing the river of culture. And because they love the water and the, the uh, health of water, they're going to get into the river and then be washed downstream in a cultural revolution that is antithetical to scripture. That's what I'm nervous about. And so we have this very hard thing of combining what we believe is so important, but also coming alongside of people. And, and we believe in something very thin, very thin. <clears throat> this is this is water. I'm just going to put a little blue dye in here so we can distinguish it better um, and kind of help with this. Right? And water is blue in the ocean someplace, I'm sure. But there's two things. There's oil and there's water. And we, we agree that both of these are, are liquid, right? And so if you've done any baking or anything in life, you realize that oil and water do not mix, right? So we think to ourselves, well, I can make this mix by shaking it up, emulsifying it. And so even though they're both liquid, there, come, there becomes a problem because these things molecularly will never combine. We can emulsify it or break the oil and the water up into tiny, tiny uh bubbles of each other that but they're so attracted to their selves water is attracted to water and oil is attracted to oil that they will never become a solution it can be emulsified or chopped up which it looks like a solution a solution is where everything is chemically combined but this will always start to settle out and the oil will always rise, rise to the top and the water will always go to the bottom even though they're both liquid they will not become a solution. And the longer we let this sit, it will completely separate. Completely separate. This is something that I've been thinking about um, that, that uh, we're kind of dealing with right now. Two liquids. The end. There are some things that we agree with as Christians in, in great and grand scale with the, with the movements, the cultural movement. We agree as a as, as Christians, that black lives matter to God, that they matter so much to God, just as everyone matters to God. Black lives matter more than anything to God. And, and he does not, he weeps over black lives who are, who are killed, who are um, eliminated, or who are oppressed in any way, in, in any kind of systemic racism. 
we grieve with people like that. We grieve with some of the atrocities that, that people of oppression have over us and over others. And so there are, there are a few individuals in a police force that are cruel and evil in their hearts. And when they have um, oppressive actions over others, we grieve that. It grieves God's heart. And so what grieves God's heart grieves our heart. It's like homelessness, like uh, poverty. We grieve with people who are struggling. And, and God has called us to take care of the, the, um, the plight of the oppressed and the, the plight of the poor and the plight of the fatherless. And so we grieve over that. And, and it's liquid. The problem is, is that it's just liquid and there's other things that we will never come to grips with together with movements of culture. I hope this makes sense. This will, can be an emulsion, an emulsified um, liquid, but it will never become a solution. Because the ethics and the morality of Christianity, the justice that Christianity understands and believes in Christ, is in opposition to the morality, ethics, and justice of the world. Now, there is one way that these can come together, kind of, and that's with a different agent. If you put, like, an egg yolk in here, uh, that's why we use egg yolks for baking, is it kind of breaks the oil apart a little bit and, and attaches itself in, in really molecular level stuff so that it kind of seems like it breaks it apart. And it takes a different agent to bring uh, these two things together. But in the long run, even with that, they will always be separate in their molecular form. So Romans 12, 2 says that we, there's so many verses in the Bible that says we're separate from the world. And when we try to apply Christian thoughts and Christian morality and Christian ethics to the world, we run into some major, major problems. Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and pur purposeful. And and First Peter then uh, says there, there's lots of places that that the Bible talks about this, but First Peter two, verse nine, you you are not like that. So what aren't you like? Well. Um, you're not like people who are stumble because they do not obey God's word. So they meet a fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You hear that? You're, you're set apart. You're different. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. You are different. And that kind of backs up a, a thought about God and the children of Israel in Deuteronomy where, where he says he, he chooses a nation. He pulls, grabs hold of a nation out of the nations. And he has chosen that a set-apart people, a different people under God. So a, a group of people who believe things that are differently and uh, um, understand justice and understand love differently and, and biblically. So first, Second Corinthians chapter 6 uh, is another, another example of this, I suppose, in, in a lot of ways. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 14. 
Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be partners with wickedness? These are Paul's words, okay? Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be part of wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between a Christ follower and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? What union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. God says, I'll live with them. I'll walk among them. I'll be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among, among unbelievers. Separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I'll welcome you, and I will be your father, and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Paul is saying we should not be unequally yoked. You know, we translate this often with marriage, that for a, a Christian a man or woman to marry a, a non-Christian man or woman, we're unequally yoking ourselves together in what seems like we love each other, but it ends up being as shallow as just liquid. Because if somebody's a Christ follower, their soul, their entire being, their moral, ethical, and understanding of life and love is completely different than someone who doesn't have Christ, have God as their father or Christ in their heart. Luke 19.10, Jesus says that I have come to seek and to save the lost. And so as Christ followers, we must lead with the gospel. I am I'm nervous about Christians grabbing a hold of a small piece of a cultural movement because we agree with it, but being swept up in the current of, of a cultural revolution, in a way. It's a dangerous thing. And I want to encourage our church to be incredibly careful um, with a lot of spiritual insight and a spiritual wisdom. I'm not telling anybody here not to be part of what's happening. I'm asking you to do it with wisdom. Realizing this concept. See, when we jump in the river of secularism, we get swept away in such a way that it's hard to get back up the river. So, I encourage you to know what you're part of. Know and understand what you're part of. Many pastors right now, we're talking and trying to understand this. We believe in the, the base tenets of the Black Lives Matter idea, but cannot get behind the Black Lives Matter organization because so much of its stated organization is antithetical to Christ's life in us and our role in this world. So much of it. I encourage you to look. Research it. Look it up. Anything you get involved in. Anything. Any organization. Anything you put your time and your effort into. Try to lead with the gospel and try to look and understand what parts of this do I agree with. Are we, are we liquid and I agree with this and I can come alongside you as an organization like this? But I must let you know that I will never completely combine with you. We'll never become a solution together because we don't agree on things. And I don't want to get swept up in a cultural theology even. I want to hold tight and secure 
And so often what happens when we're unequally yoked, one starts leading the other or there's just chaos and breakdown in between. Be the one that leads. Be confident enough to lead. In this, this idea, um, the, my, my, my fear is that our definition of love is completely different than the definition of love coming from the world. The love of the church is completely different. Matthew 22, verse 36. Jesus, uh, they said, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, well, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. <clears throat> Let's be clear. When Jesus says this is the first and greatest commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. There's a whole sermon in that. He is putting that as supremacy. That loving your neighbor, even though it's as important, is not equal to God. And if we don't love God first, it's hard for us to love our neighbor in a, a biblical and gospel perspective. The world, then, we enter into organizations that talk about loving others, loving others, loving others, but whose definition of love? Is that God's definition of an eternal agape love? Or is human's definition of a love that fulfills self and perhaps solves uh, something in society that they think they understand? I just want to encourage you as you're looking into organizations and, and being part of movements and part of a bigger story in America that you realize and remember that the people next to you don't have a love for God, don't have an honor and respect for God, their creator, the one that brought them into being, the one that, that loves life more than they can love life even as they speak and yell that they love life. That God himself is the one who created life. And we, have, we, are, we are different, men and women. We have been called apart. And yes, we believe in, in basic, some basic ideas. But we are called apart to something different. And that is to love God and then love other people. We can't love others without loving God. We can't fully love others without loving God. Of course, this also talks about our, our conversation of submitting. Submitting to God and submitting to others. And, and number three in this, so number one, be careful of jumping into the river of secularism. Um, uh, number two, be careful of defining what love is and, and having others define that for you. And number three, um, we have, a, we have a, the propensity possibly of slipping into critical theory philosophy. If you don't know critical theory philosophy, I encourage you to look that up and read it. It's a, a philosophy that drives a wedge between God's moral law and human experience, saying that human experience is more important than God's moral law or the ethical value of God's moral law. That, that uh, this, this idea, this critical theory comes out of a lot of theory, but it comes out of humanism, that human experience is more important than God saying this is right and this is wrong. And when we go into a situation and... And we believe in a few things, but we have, a, we have the, the 
propensity of, of being swept up into something, uh, a bigger theology, a bigger philosophy of the world, and we need to be very careful. So read and understand, know where you're at, know what people are preaching and teaching. And I've seen a lot of these peaceful protests. Thank you, Lord, that there, there are peaceful protests and things are happening. But then somebody gets up front who are, who's preaching a humanist doctrine. That humanist doctrine, its end is not, is not good. It ends in chaos. God's doctrine does not... <clears throat> Yeah, critical theory drives a wedge between God's moral law and human experience. And so one other thing on that is the secular world, um, the secular world's views fail. They, they fail. They've failed from the beginning of time. As soon as Adam and Eve decided that a secular worldview of them taking control of things themselves, failure came in. Things that the world teaches are objectively wrong. Life has value and justice matters. Of course they do. We know that. But without a creator God, none of these things matter or make sense. Whose standard of morality and ethics matter the most? When we talk about somebody's experience and their standard of ethics and morality is the most important because of their experience, we have uh, 7 billion different experiences of morality and ethics. C.S. Lewis, someone who I've learned a ton from because he came away from an atheist life and as he was becoming a Christian, he said this, My argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. Isn't that our argument? So often our argument, and the, the people who are, who are um, protesting right now, that's their argument, that the universe is cruel and unjust. It's an okay argument. My argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Now written on our heart is this this line of just of justice. But when we make it about human justice, we prop justice, God's justice up with a different word word like social justice, racial justice, human justice, whatever it is, we forget that the word justice to God is his justice and his justice only. So, men and women, I know that, oh, I know that this is a confusing time. It's very, very difficult for most of us to kind of just live. We have to keep living. We have to keep working. We have to keep leading our families and, and being part of communities and, and continue doing what God has called us in these places because we've been identified for this purpose. My encouragement to us that as we step into 
the the problems of systemic racism in in America and in this world, to tell you the truth, as we step into that, that we be wise, that we realize there are there are many many that the majority of things that we step into, if they're not Christ focused and if they're not led by the church or godly men and women, if they're not led by them, we're going to be stepping into something that could be a cultural tsunami or a river that we'll be having a hard time coming away from. And I just want to encourage us to be to be cautious, to have spiritual wisdom and spiritual insight into these things and realize what's going on. We can. We're the church. God has called us to a different place, a better place, and we can lead. We can be vocal about things, but we must be vocal with caution. We must be vocal with the gospel. We must lead with the gospel of Jesus Christ, who actually loves people beyond what people can imagine, beyond what humans can identify in their own minds, because we love others with a selfish ambition of love. And so God loves more. It's a different kind. It's a bigger kind. It's a greater kind. And his gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came to die on the cross for forgiveness of sins, that forgiveness will cover any any group of sin, any abundance of sin when we come to him in repentance. That is the gospel. And Jesus brought that for us. And as Christians, we understand something completely different. So please lead. Please lead with the gospel. And lead with love, gentleness, genuineness. I love you guys so much. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much for those of you who have sent me notes and calls, phone calls. And I want to encourage you just to continue to reach out to your brothers and sisters and hear their side of the story. Hear their 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 questions and their ideas and their thoughts with listening words, with a brotherly and sisterly love that, that can hear because we're, we're on a foundation of trust together, so we can have conflict. We can do that. It's really, really good. Hey, I love you. God is on the move. This is the season for the church to step up and into something. And may we lead it so that we're not just flowing down a river of cultural norms and, and cultural aspirations. We'll see you soon. Bye, church.